Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm a little loud there. I think I might be still adjusted for uh, Esther at this point. Esther's going to use this microphone this afternoon. You should be there. If you have your Bible, let's turn together to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to finish this great, great chapter, one of the high points in all of Scripture today. Uh, just so you know where we are, uh, we are coming to the end of a whole big section of the book of Romans. And uh, so we'll, we'll get into Romans 9 actually in January. So we're going to come to the end of Romans 8 today. Uh, and then for the rest of the month of December, we're going to look together at some of the statements in the four Gospels where Jesus states why he has come. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, that every once in a while Jesus will say, I have come for fill in the blank, or I have not come for this, but I have come for that. And so as we um, think about Jesus coming into the world, that's where we'll go for the rest of December, starting next week with uh, the fact that Jesus came to preach as a prophet. And then we'll, came, we'll see that he came to atone as a priest and that he came to rule as a king as well. But today we'll be in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 35 through 39. If you don't have a Bible that's on page 945 in the black pew Bible that's on the end of each pew, and you can keep that Bible for yourself if you don't have one, it's our gift to you. Now before we read this, I do want to mention something. I, I don't um, mention a whole lot about what in particular is going right or wrong with politics and and congressional votes and those sorts of things. But um, we did have our Congress vote this week. And of course, the Senate voted the week before, and I sent something out in the church email about it. But uh, it's been through both houses of Congress now. The president's about to sign it. I'm sure he'll have a big uh, celebratory sort of a ceremony about that. That's what we expect. Uh, but this, this bill that just went through this week in our country, uh, it was called the Respect for Marriage Act. Now, don't let that fool you, because it actually overturned the Defense of Marriage Act, which tells you something right there, that the, the, the naming of various bills is kind of meaningless. Um, but what it did is, uh, is it put into law um, what was essentially ruled by the Supreme Court back in 2015 about same-sex marriage. And I'm going to tell you the same thing here that I told you the week that that happened with the Obergefell decision, which is that the government cannot change the definition of marriage. Marriage is the union of one man and one woman. It is pre-political. It's established by God in the Garden of Eden. And no matter what a government says, the union, uh, in some erotic sense, of a male and a male or a female and a female simply is not marriage, regardless of how much it tries to look like that. Why do we say that? Well, Jesus said this way when uh, in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees were bringing issues to Jesus about laws about marriage, that's what they were doing and trying to trick him, uh, he essentially said there is something that was established before those laws ever came, and it was established in the Garden of Eden. He says in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, uh, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man separate. Now, some people would say, oh, well, Jesus was not saying anything at all about 
homosexuality at that point or about the various other kinds of perversions that could potentially become popular within our culture, well, yes, he was. And he certainly did say it in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, where he says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. In our culture, it's popular to say, well, if that is in someone's heart, if what the Bible defines as sexual immorality, by the way, that word sexual immorality, as Jesus was using it, is sort of a summary word for the sins of Leviticus 18, including homosexuality and many other things as well. But some would say, well, what if that desire is within a person from the time they are born? What if they can say, I was born this way, this is not something that I chose? Well, Jesus says right there, there are all kinds of desires that were in a person from the time that they were born. We are born the wrong way. I'm saying this to all of you. You were born the wrong way. You need to repent of the desires that you were born with. That's the doctrine of total depravity. Those who would say, well, human beings are coming to the world basically good, that's where all of this confusion is coming from. The Bible tells us something very different, that we come into the world basically bad. We are born into sin ever since Adam and Eve, and we need to repent of the desires that we were born with. We need to be born again, okay? So that's something that's very, very clear in Scripture, but I just want to encourage you Christians, yes, this is a law that's gone into place in our country. Yes, our Congress is in a bipartisan fashion, rebelling against nature itself and the design that God has set up uh, in the definition of marriage, and yet they can't actually change that. Marriage is the union between one man and one woman. It's in God's hands, and our task is to remain faithful through these things. We're going to find that more and more, I think, as time goes on, um, that we are no longer dealing with a situation where we're, we're where it's kind of like we're in the middle of Israel crying out for reform, that it's more and more like we're in the middle of Babylon, <laughs> having, having to deal with being strangers in a strange land. And, and so we, we see these sorts of things. But uh, I just wanted to, to mention that um, marriage is pre-political, definition cannot be changed by government, and our call is to stand faithful to God's word on these things. All right. But let's start the sermon, okay? Let's turn, as I said, to Romans chapter 8, and let's look at verses 35 through 39. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ah, I feel like I could just leave it right there and walk off. Amen, amen. Guys, it's really, really easy to become cynical uh, to be pessimistic about everything, to start thinking that everything good is eventually going to fall apart because we see so many things that do. 
You know, your, your favorite restaurant can close down. Your favorite athlete can quit your favorite team, go off and get a better contract somewhere else. Your favorite political leader can get thrown out of office. Your marriage, marriages sometimes fall apart. Sometimes churches stop preaching the gospel. It, it, it's, it's really easy to look and to think, well, everything's just going to fall apart, especially as we consider even if everything's going really well. Well, what's, what's down the road for all of us? Death. It's, it's, it can be very easy to think nothing gold can stay. Nothing good is going to last. But what we see right here is that there's something that absolutely cannot fall apart on us. And that is the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's going to stay. It's going to keep us. God will keep us in his love no matter what. When we have been joined to God in Christ, we can never be separated from him. As we come here to the end of this chapter, just remind you that this chapter is an encouragement to sinners and sufferers. It's an encouragement that no condemnation exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no more. And as we came to verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And ever since then, it's been encouraging us, stand firm. Know that God has you in his hands. Be assured in your salvation, even if you realize that you still have to fight sin, and even if you are shaken by suffering in your life, know that God has you in his hands, believer. That's the point of what's going on here, is that God will keep us in his love. And so let's think about that if you're following along in the back of your bolts. And I think there's four points today, if that's allowed I think every Baptist preacher is supposed to have three, but I think we got four today. The first one is about the love of Christ. So let's consider that. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We want to think here for just a second because that's how this passage begins and ends. From the love of Christ, and then at the very end, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? So we want to know what, what is that? What is that love of God, and, and is it like our love? And, and it, you could look and say, well, the love of Christ, does that mean our love of Christ? Or does that mean Christ's love of us? Well, it's about Christ's love of us. One of the things that we know about our own love is that it's pretty weak. Now, sometimes our love can be stronger than at other times, but our love for Christ is nothing like Christ's love for us in terms of amount, in terms of strength. It, it, of course, we are called to love God. We, we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the very first and most important commandment according to Jesus. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But you've got to realize that that command to love God is part of the law. In fact, it's a summary of the whole law. That's the way that Jesus put it, <clears throat> is that it sums up the whole law. And you know what the law does to us? It shows us that we're sinners, and it calls us to repent, and it calls us to trust in Christ who is not a sinner. 
So, so when we consider our love for Christ, you know what? We can be convinced one day that our love for Christ is so, so strong that nothing could ever possibly shake it, and then the next day it's shaken. That's what happened to Peter, isn't it? He declared to Jesus, I will never de- deny you no matter what happens. I Absolutely not. And then there he is, denying Christ three times before the rooster crows. His love for Christ was a lot weaker than he knew, but Christ's love for him was not going to let him go. That's the same for you and me. Our love can waver, our love can be weak, but God's love for us is not weak. The fact that we need to love God, that's law. But when God loves us in Christ, that's gospel. It's God's good rules that you ought to love Jesus but it's God's good news when Jesus loves you and won't let you go. That's why it says in 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And it says in Romans 5.8 that God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't sitting around and waiting for us to show that we had prospects of being really good. He came and died for us while we were still sinners. Consider that fact. He shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, and put that together with what we saw last week in the Scriptures in in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's saying, here's the love of Christ for you. He planned it out. He said it's for his elect. God had this planned out from before the foundation of the world, and he carried it out. And Jesus came and actually shed his blood for us by name on purpose. And those that he died for, it says that he will graciously give us all things, that no charge against us is going to stand, that that he, he died for us, he rose for us, he ascended into heaven, he's interceding for us, his love for us is going to keep us. That's the point here. When Jesus has set his love on you, he's not going to take his love away from you, and nothing can. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, the whole rest of this passage is just going to be an answer to that, saying no one, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God's love for us is stronger than anything you've ever experienced as far as your love for another human being. And I say that knowing that that you have experienced strong love. Mothers, just think of the love that you have for your little baby. As you hold that baby up to yourself, as that baby is dependent on you for its very life and nourishment and everything, just think of that love. But listen to this. In Isaiah 49, 15, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He says, my love for you is even stronger 
than a nursing mother's love for her little baby to the point that it absolutely can never fail, and he has our names engraved on his palms. It's amazing. It's amazing. When does that love stop? Never. Psalm 136. I'll just read the first three verses, but it's going to say it for the whole psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. So when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, that's what we're talking about. That love that's stronger than any other love that ever has or ever could exist and never, ever goes away. But in the middle of that, some would think to themselves, well, if he loves me, then he will keep me from suffering. It's not the case. It's not the case. How do we know that? Well, look what it says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. These are some of the kinds of things that Christians who are within the love of God in Christ, who are saved, who God will absolutely never remove an ounce of his love from, these are the kinds of things that they will still walk through. Remember, Jesus walked through these things. Was it because he was a sinner? Absolutely not. Was it because the Father had ceased to love the Son? Absolutely not. And if you walk through these things, does that mean that God has ceased to love you? Absolutely not. In all these things, God has his good purposes. Back in verse 28, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. These are the kinds of things that we would walk through. It's really not surprising that Christians would suffer. When, when Jesus calls people to himself, one of the things he said, this is really counterintuitive, right? You, you would think that if, if you're going to get a bunch of followers to come after you, that you ought to say something to them like, come after me and I'll give you a way better life. Here's what he said. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Remember, a cross was an instrument of execution. He's like he's saying, take up your electric chair every day and follow me. We, we are following after a Savior who is sinless and yet still went to the cross. And we're following him. <laughs> and so it's not unexpected that we would suffer. But here's the thing that we do as Christians. Listen to this. As Christians, you do not walk into suffering. You walk through suffering. Those who are apart from Christ, they walk into suffering. And one day, they will walk into the suffering of hell that will never end if they don't repent and believe before that time. But Christian, we walk through it. We walk through it knowing that there is another side, knowing that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ knowing that we have hope that the world doesn't have. I don't know how many Christians I've heard say this, and it's so true. It's something along the lines of, I just don't know how people suffer apart from faith in Christ. And really, I don't know either. 
And yeah, there's a lot of suffering that unbelievers go through in various ways, and I don't understand. I don't understand how you could, how you could be in those things with no hope. But here's what we have as believers. We, we don't have a guarantee nothing is ever going to happen that's unpleasant. We have a guarantee everyone who is faithful to Christ, everyone who, who wishes to follow after Christ will be persecuted. But we walk through it. We have hope. We have Jesus. We know we can't be separated. Here's, what it, here's the way that Peter put it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The things that he says when he asks this question, shall they separate us? He says, shall tribulation. Now that's a broad term that encompasses a lot of different kinds of suffering and kind of carries with it an extreme kind of suffering. Tribulations. And there are some out there who will look at you with a straight face and hold up their Bible and say, Christians, you are all going to be raptured away before tribulation comes. But the Bible prepares us over and over and over to walk through tribulation with Jesus loving us. It says, shall tribulation or distress? Distress, boy, all kinds of stuff that just makes you want to scream. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's coming. It's not going to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Shall persecution. There's various levels of persecution. It could be anything from being pressured to be unfaithful to Christ in your workplace to being pressured to be unfaithful to Christ in society or in your family. could be all the way up to the extreme situations of persecution that you see in a place like North Korea where possession of one Bible verse is punishable by death. But shall persecution separate us from the love of Christ? No. What about famine or nakedness? Both of those are terms that talk about extreme poverty. If you've ever been to a third world country, you know that there's, a, there's poverty like you've never seen in America before. And I remember when I, f- I first arrived in Calcutta, India, when I was about 23 years old or so, and got out of the car from the airport and started walking through the streets and started literally seeing people lying naked and starving on the sidewalk, so many people that you can't possibly take care of all of them, and it just kind of hits you. There is suffering that is extreme, and sometimes even believers would walk through those things like the pastor in Uganda that I knew, who we went to dinner and he was not going to order anything because he didn't have any money and then told us he hadn't eaten in three days. Of course, we bought him a meal. (laughs) One One of Christ's sheep, even leading Christ's sheep, walking through famine. Or danger. Boy, there's all kinds of dangers out there. Or sword. That even gets to the idea of you could be put in jail or executed. But shall any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul wasn't naive 
when the Holy Spirit was moving him to write these things. He, he wasn't off in some sort of a, a, a beautiful monastery with everything that he needed, just sort of saying, well, I know that there's sufferers over there, and I want to encourage them. No, no, it says in, in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, that, that he had been through great afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. In 2 Corinthians 11.23, he says that he's been through labors, imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's been through this, and yet, you know what he says about all those things? He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying, I can walk through it. Content in Christ. Knowing that no one and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we get to verse 36, it says, as it is written, And he quotes Psalm 42, verse 22. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know what this is? This is a reminder that this is not new. You go back to the Old Testament, and that was the case then too. It's not like suffering for God's faithful people just suddenly showed up on the scene after Jesus came. Jesus actually said, this has been the case all along. He says, all the way from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the prophet who was was killed between the altar and the sanctuary, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? You, You see this all over the Psalms, God's faithful children going through suffering and crying out to God things like, how long, O Lord? And of course, you see it here in Psalm 42 that's being quoted. And just a reminder that these things have been the case all along, that God's faithful have walked through suffering, even walked through death, even walked through persecution to the point of losing their own lives, and yet have remained faithful, knowing that God's love endures forever, no matter what, no matter what. It's been the case all along, and God will sustain us just as he's sustained his children all along. But shall those things separate us from the love of God in Christ? Here's the answer in verse 37. No. Now, the the word no, just so you know, um, the the way that it's written in Greek doesn't actually say no. It says but in all these things. But it's put in a really strong way to say the, the, the alternative is going to be the case. That's where we, we end up with this word from the translators, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So you have this idea. There's tribulation that could come. There's distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. All of these things that would tempt us to walk away from Jesus, to say it's just too much. 
It could be because of persecution where there's literally somebody in front of you saying, deny Christ or you die. I hope none of you ever have to face a situation like that. But you know what? We've all signed up for it when we signed up with Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus. We've signed up for that possibility. It could be something like that. It could be something like famine or nakedness where there is a temptation. Boy, if I would just be unfaithful to God, I could get myself out of this poverty. If I would just be unfaithful to Christ, I could escape this danger. I could escape this, I could escape that. But it says, no, look, not by getting out of these things, although we pray that God would get us out of these things, we don't long for persecution, we don't long for suffering, but but it doesn't say by getting us out of these things, it says in all these things we are more than conquerors. In all these things we are more than conquerors. When it says more than conquerors, that's one word. You might have heard somebody say this before. It's like he's saying hyper-conquerors. It's a word you just don't find anywhere else, and he's really trying to get across. You're not just going to be a conqueror. You're going to be more than a conqueror. Now, how does the world think of conquering? The world thinks of conquering as, as, as this great, strong soldier coming in and and you know, doing the soldier thing <laughs> and, and, and showing everybody who's boss. And you know what Jesus came, came and said? Blessed are the meek. To which those who are not meek would say, that's ridiculous. You're going to have a, a whole bunch of sheep to be slaughtered? Is that what you're going to have? Well, Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. By the way, I'm not trying to make some point there about whether or not Christians should go to war or something like that. That's not my point, all right? My point is that he's saying, not by coming in and being the bully and the tough guy who shows everybody who's boss, but by enduring through that suffering. In all of those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, this is what happened with Jesus. Remember, this is how Jesus conquered, is by going to the cross. It says says in Hebrews 12, 2, here's what he did. And and this is written as an encouragement to, to sufferers and to those who were persecuted. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what it's talking about. Jesus is more than a conqueror in all these things, in his going to the cross. If Jesus hadn't walked through the cross, I'd be doomed, you'd be doomed, We'd be lost in our sin, but Jesus walked through it. He went through it. He despised the shame, but he did it for the joy that was set before him. And that's the same call that we have. Yeah, we we might despise the shame of the suffering that we have to walk through, but we do it for the joy that is set before us in Christ and remembering Jesus who walked before us through that suffering and got up alive and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God now. 
First Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. I do want to say this. If you haven't come to God, come to God. Jesus went and died so that sinners like you and me could come to God. He suffered for sins, the righteous, not, not the righteous for the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. Lay down your pride, recognize that you're unrighteous, come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and know that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through Him. But He did that. He went to the cross so that He might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He is the all-sufficient Savior. And because he was more than a conqueror in the cross, you can come to him and have eternal life. And as those who follow Christ, not only was Jesus more than a conqueror in his suffering, but it happens in us too. We are more than conquerors in all these things. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that he, he says that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's what it's talking about, in that being more than a conqueror. And I'll just give you one more verse from 2 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Mm. Guys, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. I can't help but to take us to the book of Revelation right here, where he says more than conquerors. If you are familiar with the book of Revelation, um, then you have seen that word come up about conquering and being conquerors and to the one who conquers. It comes up a lot. And I want to submit to you today that the book of Revelation is sort of a manual for being more than a conqueror. It's something that was given to churches that were facing suffering, even as they were going through their own particular situation. And it's given to us as something that we can go to and we can say, God is going to have the victory, and my call is to stand firm through these things. My call is to be faithful, to to love not my life even unto death. He, he says in Revelation 14, 12, and I think this is one of, if not the theme verses of the book of Revelation, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. If you're walking through suffering, I know, I know you're going to come to stuff in Revelation where you say, I just, I have no idea what that means. You're going to keep doing that until you go to heaven, by the way. You're going to keep on not knowing what everything in Revelation means until you go to heaven. That's okay. 
But guys, it was written for sufferers, and it was written for the persecuted, and it was written for those who need to keep the faith and to endure and to stay faithful to the end, even through those things. I'll just read you some of the places about more than conquering that we see in Revelation. In these seven letters to the churches, it says it seven times, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. That's 2.11. 2.17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus with white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I love that. Down in Revelation 12, verse 10, there's an announcement that Satan will be thrown down. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before our God. And they have conquered him. How? How have they conquered Satan? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. You hear that? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And and you get to Revelation 21, and this beautiful picture of what's coming for us, our eternal dwelling in the eternal heaven come to earth, the new Jerusalem. It says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, why did I, why did I read you so many verses from Revelation there? Well, guys, it's because we see that conquering theme, being more than conquerors, in terms of the constant pressure on us to cave. That's what you see in these sufferings that are listed in Romans 8. That's what you see in those cycles of problems that are all through the book of Revelation, usually in series of sevens, is you see this constant pressure on the saints to give in. Just go on and take the mark of the beast. We're not going to talk about what the mark of the beast is right now, okay? But, but just one of those things that you see, just, just go on and, and give in. Just bow down and worship the beast. Just, just go ahead and be faithless now. Go ahead and be cowardly. Go ahead and be a liar. Go ahead and be sexually immoral or give approval to sexual immorality. Just go ahead and do these things. But you know what it says? They conquer by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Stay faithful in Christ. Stay faithful in Christ because in all of these things, with all of those trials and temptations and tribulations that come, Satan would absolutely love 
to see you deny Christ and give in and say, I'll do anything to stop this suffering. But our call is to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When I am weak, then I am strong. To walk through it with our eyes on Jesus and to endure, to endure. But he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through our own strength. No, it doesn't say that. Did you catch that? you got to listen, because sometimes the pastor will say something that's not in the Bible, and you've got to listen. All right? It does not say we are more than conquerors through our own strength to be able to endure. It says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus is the one who has purchased our endurance on the cross. When Jesus laid down his life for sinners on the cross... He purchased the fact that we could never be separated from that love. And he purchased our loving not our lives even unto death. He's the one who made us more than conquerors, and he is going to make it so that we cannot be separated from his love, no matter what. It is in him. It is in him who loved us. And then finally, you, you, we see, I say finally because it's point number four, but I've still got another hour. Is that all right? <laughs> I try to avoid saying the word finally because some people are like, oh, I can put my Bible away. No. Verse 38 is where we're going to get to now and know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I am sure, and I'm just going to say a whole bunch of things, None of these things in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about what those things are. Neither death nor life. Neither death nor life. Can death separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? No. No. Absolutely can't. I got to tell you guys, I would, I would say this at Eric Bear's funeral if I could. That man had his mind on Jesus as he knew that he was at the very end of his life. He was rejoicing in Christ. I just love to see that. I don't love to see somebody near death, but I love to see a believer who knows that it's coming and is just looking forward to meeting Jesus. And in our faith in Christ, we know that death cannot separate us. Same, same was true with Jane Oldham, by the way, as well, who passed away a week, or I should say just a few days before Eric. Now, she was not in a situation to be able to express that in her final days, but you know what? She was listening to hymns the whole time, rejoicing in Jesus. But guys, sometimes you, you, you think to yourself, well, if death is coming for me, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe if God really loved me, then he would make me be born at the time where I'm not going to die and Jesus is going to come back first. Well, guys, even that timing is within God's plan of good things for you, things that he is going to cause to work together for your good, to conform you to the image of Christ. He's going to work all of that. But here's what Paul said when he was in prison, when he was wondering whether he'd be executed. He says in Philippians 1.20, Christ will be honored in my body, 
whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now that's the idea of, can life separate me from Christ? Am I going to be separated from Christ because I want to go be with Him so much and I'm still here? (laughs) That's a thing that believers feel sometimes too. But no, death can't separate us. Life can't separate us. And he says to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. As long as the Lord has you here, he has you here for a reason, on purpose, for his glory and for others' good that you can, you can work toward. Even if, you, even if you get to be like my great aunt. I was just talking to some people the other day about my great aunt. She was born in 1899. She died in 2002. Those last few years, she kept saying, I don't know why I'm still here. But you know what? God wasn't separating her from the love of God in Christ. And he, he had her there for his glory, for his glory. And then he, she did get to go home and see Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. But whether death or life, nothing can separate us. As a Christian, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is also the best thing that can possibly happen to you. Worst thing that can happen is you die. Best thing that can happen is you go to see Jesus. You're going to be all right. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither death nor life. And then the next thing he says is neither angels nor rulers. Now, what does he mean by angels or rulers? Probably he's talking mainly here about Satan and his demons. Because, of course, the, the, the sinless elect angels of heaven, they have no desire to separate you from the love of Christ. They're, they, they, they are enthusiastic to see you endure and rejoice in Christ. But there are those third of heaven's angels who rebelled against God and fell and hate God, and will be condemned to the lake of fire forever and ever, and they constantly want to see you fail. You see that in the book of Job, where Satan goes before God and says, let me take Job, or I guess I should say God brought up to him, if you considered my servant Job, and then Satan comes up with all kinds of ways that he can bring trials and tribulations and try to get Job to do exactly what his wife suggested that he do, curse God and die. But can angels, can Satan and his demons take us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nope. No, they can't. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They're against us, but if God is for us, who can be against us? Or 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But he can he devour you, Christian? No, he can't. He can't. When it says rulers, it could also be talking about human rulers there, not just the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this present darkness. It could be talking about emperors and presidents and judges and all kinds of political leaders could be talking about dictators. Can they separate us from the love of God in Christ? Can a bad president separate you from the love of God in Christ? 
What if the whole constitutional order of the United States gets overthrown and replaced with something more like what's going on in North Korea? Can that separate you from the love of God in Christ? Let's pray that that doesn't happen, but no, it can't separate you from the love of God in Christ. Absolutely can't. No way, no how. What about things present or things to come? Nope, they can't do that. You may say to yourself, what I'm walking through right now, the preacher has no idea. He doesn't know how hard it is. And you're probably right, I don't. But it can't separate you from the love of God in Christ. Or you may say to yourself, well, things are all right for me right now. I feel bad for those people who have bad things happening. Well, there's also things to come. Not just things present, but things to come. Like it says in James 4.14, you do not know what tomorrow may bring. And there is suffering in the future that you don't know about yet. It's going to hit us by surprise. But God gives us these things so we can be prepared for that too, to walk through those sufferings that are to come with faith in Jesus, loving not our lives even unto death. Nor powers. The word powers there probably has to do with miraculous powers. It's the way it's used elsewhere in the Scriptures. As it says in Matthew 24, 24, as Jesus is talking about the tribulation that's coming, preparing his disciples for that, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But elect, believer in Jesus, are you going to be led astray? No. No, he's going to keep you. Even if somebody comes up and by the power of Satan does an incredible miracle in front of your face and tells you, turn from Christ, God is going to keep you in the love of Jesus. It says, nor height, nor depth. You go all the way up to heaven, all the way down to hell, and anywhere in between, and there is nothing there that can keep you from the love of God in Christ, nor anything else in all creation. You may say to yourself, but this thing that I'm thinking of is not listed here. Yes, it is. Anything else in all creation. Or you may think to yourself, but I myself am not listed here. Are you something in all creation? Yes. Yes, you are. And that's a very important thing to know here. If God has set his love on you, adopted you as his child, he will not let you go. There is nobody who is saved who then God lets them be lost to hell. It doesn't happen. There are people who make false professions of Christ. Jesus talks about that in, thir- in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the soils, where there are some who appear for a time to embrace the message of Jesus, but then fall away with those persecutions and sufferings, like the beating sun on a little plant with no root. That can happen. But if God has actually saved someone, not just a human being saying, I'll try out this Jesus thing for a while, but God, by his power, saving someone, making them born again, not even they themselves can separate themselves from the love of God in Christ. You can't. Why is that? Well, it's because Jude, verse 24, says... He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great power. 
It's because Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Nothing in all of creation, not even your fear that you might deny Christ, nothing can keep you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know why that is? It's because God finishes his work. If he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, then we are going to be holy and blameless before him because in love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Ephesians 4, 1 and 5. He will keep us. He will keep us. Guys, we in Christ are and will be more than conquerors in all these things. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. But I want to tell you, all of this is not ultimately because of us. It is because of Christ who told us, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have a plan for us that won't be shaken. Thank you that you have a love for us that can't be shaken, for us who are in Christ. Father, I pray that those who are not in Christ would be in Christ and prove to be those that you would set your love on and never, ever let go. God, I pray that you would turn us to repentance, to faith, and for that repentance and faith not to be shaken, even if there are all kinds of tribulations and trials that would call us to unfaithfulness, not to be more than conquerors. And yet, by Christ and by your love, we know that you will keep us and that we will walk through those things and not into them into destruction. Father, I pray for your help for those who are going through suffering right now, through, through grief, uh, through pain, through disease, through hardship, through things that we know about, through things that we don't know about. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them and help them, uphold them by your righteous right hand, your steadfast love that endures forever. Lord, we know that there are things, even for us who are not in the middle of times of suffering right now, we know that there are things to come that we don't know that are within your plan and your, your good design to conform us to the image of Christ. And I pray that you would prepare us for those things by the Spirit and grant us to be able to stand firm and to be content and to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.